I'm talking by phone by Ori Gersht, who's a black box artist, and his exhibition will take place December 20th, 2008, through April 15th, 2009. Our black box series to date is focused on single-channel projections, but I couldn't overlook your recent powerful flat-screen works. We've included two in this show, including Big Bang One from 2006, which is now in our permanent collection. Before I was introduced to your moving image work, I associated your practice with poetic, large-format photographic series. In some cases, such series accompany your video works. So before we discuss the video works, could you provide me with some background on the photographic side of your oeuvre and the subjects, your interest in series and sequential imagery, and how you determine the scale for those photographs? Okay. The, um, I think that there are various common denominators to various bodies of words that I've produced in the past. Um, I think that they, they always have some connection to historical events that are, I, my view on them is universal and personal simultaneously. And I think that um, this has very much to do with the, with the essence of, um, of the photographic medium, the way photography always deal with or have this some sort of authority over relationship with historical evidence and truth. And um, my exploration tend to renegotiate those relationships between objective um, and attempt to, to represent or to capture um, objectively historical event and subjective interpretations. So what I tend to do is, or often is to revisit um, locations that um, are very loaded and attempt with the camera to um, to discuss or to explore past events in in the present. And an example for this could be the trip that I've done uh, on the train from Krakow to Auschwitz in um, 2000 in a series titled White Noise. And there I was on the train moving from on the same route that took um, many of the victims during the Second World War from the Krakow ghettos to the extermination camp. And while I was on the train, I looked outside of the window and it occurred to me that the victims at the time were unable to see outside because they were in uh, cattle trucks. And so I have this kind of desire to photograph what was there and still there now and somehow outlive the, the historical events. And when I was attempting to do this, it was very it was also, or retrospectively, I was thinking about this and say, oh, this is a, almost a trivial, uh, a trivial thought. But what started to happen in the process of making this work, that I continuously failed capturing anything since I was pointing the camera at 90 degrees outside of the window and the train was moving so fast, so I kept on missing. And because I was missing, I became frustrated and I kept shooting more and more film. And only when I arrived to 
my darkroom and start to process those images and I realized that the camera was failing to capture anything. There is just almost uh, some sort of abstract impression of the journey and of the landscape. I realized that something more interesting occurred because I was actually dealing with this kind of desperate desire to capture the past, but since photography can only deal with the here and now, it was an, I was unable to bridge to the past. So this entire journey was partly an attempt to hold on to something that's already gone, the impossibility of doing so, and at the same time the aspiration to get close to it. So this kind of idea of tracing historical roots um, is a one reoccurring um, tendency. Um, another aspect that is um, of great interest to me is how the camera, is the camera, or is the act of photography, if, if, if taking a photograph is the act of quoting or of translating. And um, what tend to happen with photography by nature, that it, photography is very good at capturing details and information that can then be interpreted and then apply to what what had happened in a particular place. And the way I try, attempt to take photographs to start to stretch the way reality is presented. And so, for example, if um, I talk about the series that I produced in 2003 and 2004 titled Ghost, where I photograph ancient olive trees in Israel and Palestine, in Palestinian villages in the Galilee. I photograph very old trees, uh, and um, I attempted to photograph them in the middle of the summer, in the middle of the day, where the sun is extremely bright. It's actually an hour that it's advised not to take photographs in, since there is so much flare, and um, therefore contrast is dropping. And I particularly attempted to go at this time and to take photographs of extremely long exposure. What I hoped will happen is that the sun or the light that, that register information on film after a period of time will start to erase this information since there will be too much light uh, absorbed by the film until the images will disappear. I wanted, the, I wanted the light and the sun to perform an act of violence on the film. And then when I went into the darkroom and attempted to print those images, what I had was very black negative, and which required very long exposure under the enlarger, and then I managed to retrieve an image. But those images were almost removed from our mundane experience of olive trees. At the same time, they are very accurate and photographic account of those trees. So there was a gap, and this is something that, again, it's a, a continuous preoccupation of mine, this gap between how reality, mundane reality is experienced and how through the, act, through the intervention of the camera, how such reality can be stretched or, or approached from a diverse point of view. I think that another issue that is very important to me is the relationship between, um, between violent 
historical violent event and or the, the interpretation of of violent event or maybe the the coexistence of an event that was extremely violent and at the same time um I have to rephrase this, I think. Um, I mean, basically, actually, maybe I stop there. And when we talk about the forest, is it okay? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. We no, let me just... Little, no? I, I know these photographic works, and I feel that what you are describing uh, is, is, it resonates with, with what I, I have seen in them. The, there is a great allure to these works, because technically and aesthetically... They're quite gorgeous, and it's as if the viewer sort of leans in and yearns to see and decipher what it is they're looking at and then also process it intellectually. And then it turns out to be a very vivid experience of the present, but through this prism of the difficulty of throwing your arms around the past and bringing it close to you to uh, feel its uh, vaporous qualities, and I think that that's characteristic of the white noise series and and of the ghost series. Now, in the forest in 2006, it's a video work, and this is screening in our black box, and the camera pans a medieval uh, primeval setting, uh, but the rapture of nature every so often is interrupted when a tall tree tumbles to the ground, and you alternate silence and this thunderous collapse. Uh, and this film provokes many notions and questions. Do you want to sort of uh, bring us through the prism of your photographic ambitions into what one sees in watching the forest? Yes, so the forest. <coughs> sorry, the forest takes place um, in um, um, outside of um, the village of Kosov in southwest Ukraine, and this is a place of. Um, Kind of personal significance since my father-in-law survived the, uh, the, um, the Second World War. And this was the, init the initial attraction to go to this place and visit it. But then as my idea developed, I was also thinking about this particular forest being a less known one, um, almost a forest that no pathos was attached to it. And I was interested to make the work that is relating to those horrific events of the Second World War, but in a place that is quite anonymous and or that is, it doesn't carry with it um, the, um, the horrific legacies of places like Babia and so on. And what I try to do there, and I think that this resonates to other works and work that I uh, discussed earlier on, is this tension between a disaster and, um, and tranquility or between... I was attempting to kind of take the viewer through those tensions that exist while walking in a space that feels so ancient and almost Arcadian and then disastrous dramatic events that are operating as intervention. And what I, I wanted to... Um, to achieve is this tension between experiencing something very dramatic and then forgetting that it ever existed. And then this dramatic and disastrous event will reoccur, but then will be erased by long take of 
um, navigation through this peaceful and beautiful space, but also by the, the manner in which the forests tend to absorb those collapsing trees and fill the gap as if they never were there at, at first place. So this kind of tension between um, registering and erasing, remembering and forgetting, I think that it was crucial to the way in which um, this film was made. I also wanted to um, work with the camera in such a way that it doesn't attribute any pathos to any of the events. So we never stopped on a collapsing tree. The camera keep on panning and live in a mechanical order, leaving those falling trees behind without, <coughs> without giving them any um, special attention. So they are being sometimes missed Sometimes the camera is missing them all together. Sometimes they are being left behind while um, while falling apart. Yeah, the the breaking of the branches and the sliding of the monumental trunks feels like the loss of an entity. Um, how did you determine the height or the vantage point that you used to to um, pan the forest? Um, it was important for me to look straight into the trees, and there were. Um, enormous trees are uh, around 100 foot tall. So what I had to find is a resin that, <coughs> sorry, what I had to find is a resin that will allow me to stand high up and look straight into them. Um, so I was able to go to the other bank. You mentioned it. Yes. Go, oh, go ahead, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so basically I was able to stand on the other bank gaining an advantage point so the camera was able to to be kept in 90 degrees to um, to the trees. There was another big issue there because um, it was a national reserve so to gain permission uh, was extremely difficult and the British Council helped us a great deal negotiating with the Ukrainian government. Um, they, it was When we shot the film it was very short after the Orange Revolution in Ukraine uh -huh. and many civil servants uh, lost their jobs. Um, so when initially I went on a recce and I tried to secure some of the locations, I find that it was extremely difficult to negotiate with anyone because people were very cautious of taking responsibility or making decisions um, in case it will cost them their, their job. The actual trees that we cut or that are falling in during the film were all trees that were due to be cut down by the foresters. Um, they were all marked trees. Usually they are working much slower there, so probably they, will cut, they would have cut them down over a period of a couple of years. But in the process of working with us, this was accelerated and we uh, they cut the trees in a matter of a few days. How did you determine the duration of the piece? Um, since it was not scripted, it's, um, the entire film is almost emerging from a single image. Um, the idea was that we'll go over there and we will start shooting falling trees. We didn't know how... M there, was, there were many unknowns because when I went over with the crew, I didn't have the final permission. We didn't know what location they will actually allow us to film in and how many trees we will be able to cut. I mean, there were some agreements by this point, but um, since um, 
it was in Ukraine, it was very difficult for us to fix and get to, to be certain. So there were so many unknowns. For me, it was like going on in some sort of expedition with the crew, leading them through something that I wasn't sure will ever work, but hoping that somehow we managed to pull it together. So when we were on location, in the first few days were difficult. It was raining. The foresters that worked with us didn't speak English at all, so the communication was difficult, and they left us at lunchtime and came drunk after this. So <laughs> it was meant, there were all these obstacles that we have to overcome. And then when we start shooting, and they really came on board, the foresters, they were really excited by what we did. And it was this team effort that we were just shooting as much as we were able. We tried to make some recordings that would give a sense of a real, of a three-dimensional space. So um, Ross Adams, who was the sound recordist and, and then sound designer, kept on moving across the forest and sometimes going far away from where the event took place in order to have more distant sounds. And when we came back to the UK and processed the film, I started to look at all the material. And the material, I think, it was the material inferring what the duration of the film will be, how the relationship between various takes should work. There were one basic rule that we won't repeat shots. So it was this kind of idea to try to give a continuous journey um, that is closed in some sort of, of a loop, so there is no way in or way out of it. Also, there was this decision of avoiding showing the, the horizon or the sky, so the forest is all-encompassing. So there were other shots where we rigged the camera to the trees, and some cameras were crashing with trees together, and this didn't work out, didn't work out for... Um, conceptually since they became too dramatic and were pointing to the sky so they um, came in the way of this claustrophobic intensity that um, I was after. You definitely feel lost and when I watch it over and over again what I wondered if this lostness is something that is on the site now when you go into the forest, or if it really is mostly related through the lens of your artwork? And it sounds like it's mostly the artfulness with which you captured this space. Um, I mean, this is an attempt. They're very large forests, so it's very easy to get lost in them. I actually went to another part of um, um, part of Poland on the border of Belarus last winter, and I wandered there together with my assistants, and um, we lost our path, and it took us a few hours, and it is, the space is so vast, and the time becomes almost monotonous, and not paying attention, it's a, it's a place that, that is very, very, very haunting, and um, I mean, the place I went to last winter, were a location where parties and were hiding and finding refuge by marshes in the middle of the forest. And this experience of getting lost um, is resonance with those people who were hiding there. And um, so I think that it's a kind of, it's basically a combination of the real space and 
certain recognition in the process of making the film of how to emphasize such qualities. Are the forests protected for recreational use or are they also considered, particularly this one, um, to be sort of silenced as sacred ground? No, just for recreation as a national reserve. Uh-huh. Um, Babiao, for example, is um, unprotected in such a way. People are doing barbecues and playing games on the on the turf where the um, executions and massacre took place. So I don't think that it's it doesn't have this kind of historical respect to particular events. It's much more. Well, also, also the work feels to be very universal in the sense of as these trees are lost, it feels like something natural is being taken away, and it also feels like a harbinger of deforestation and global warm, you know, climate concerns, planet concerns, natural concerns. It reads and feels um, on a variety of levels. Yes, I, it's important for me to move away. The, the past, the kind of autobiographical reason to go to a place is only a starting point, and I try to pull away from it to open up the work to much greater kind of universal values and, and spaces for interpretation. So um, I'm totally aware and welcome all these other possibilities. Um, I want to move away from specific, the specificity of the event and to discuss much more this kind of tension between a moment of disaster and how quickly this moment is being absorbed by another space. And this, all those tension points and obviously ecological concerns are also coming to mind in relation to that. Let's also talk, uh, uh, the forest will be inside the black box, but outside the black box there will be uh, flat screen work. And did you start with these in 2005 with the flat screen? In 2006, Ah. the first one was the pomegranate. And with that, it seems to me, when I first saw it, to reference the Venitas, the classical European still life paintings that depict items that are for delectation, foodstuffs and flowers and fruit and game that were displayed at their peak. And they gave the painters of that era the opportunity to show off their virtuosity and naturalism. And then usually these things, the idea was that they would fade with time and that they represented some sort of moment of consumption as something that's a fleeting aspect of life. And their illusionistic representation also was a kind of metaphor for the eminence of decay and the fleeting nature of, of life. Now, I not so long ago saw Juan Sanchez Cotan's Still Life with Quince, Cabbage, and Cucumber from 1600 and was very taken by how close your work is based on it. But this work isn't universally a well-known masterpiece, so I'm anxious to know what about it particularly caught your attention. Um, I mean, personally, I'm interested in Kutan for a very long time, so it's, um, I think that it's a, at the back of my mind, and it just presented itself at the point. I can't say exactly, you know, 
why or how, but I know that some of the attraction that I have to these species uh, has to do with the, with the simplicity of it, with the moment that it was created, one of the earliest still life, um, definitely one of the earliest Spanish still life to be made. And I was interested in the, in the tension that exists between um, organic or nature and culture where his compositions are always taking those parabolic shapes that are um, post-Pythagorean and they're always framed against the window, the, the, the hard geometry of his, uh, the window of his monastery. And this kind of tension that, that exists between the two was another point to me, and I think that I try to work with it and um, and um, and recreate it at the point where the pomegranate was shot, and the movement of the pomegranate from this point onward is, uh, is pendular, and once again reclaiming this parabolic shape that was created by the original painting. Um, I mean, I, I'm relating, I made relationship to this particular painting. I think also because of this exquisite relation, uh, exquisite uh, equilibrium that Cotan was aiming to achieve and I assume achieved in, in his compositions. He was trying to reach this perfect static um, relationship between all the elements in the frame, the distance of the two, um, the, the, the distance of the fruits from the edges of the windows, the way the shapes are um, transforming from circular to elongated ovalic shapes, the way scale is kind of transformed. There are so many relationships that are uh, so perfectly positioned and what I'm attempting to do in the film is to work with with this composition but to contrast it with the work of um, somebody um, like Edgerton who worked in the 50s at MIT and was the godfather of high speed photography and created this famous photograph of the crown of milk uh, created by a drop of milk, um, and also the famous photograph of a bullet that is going through an apple. And I was interested in this tension that exists between freezing a very fast moment, a moment that is almost incomprehensible for the naked eye, in relation to a very a perfect static moment. And this kind of relates to an interest that I, didn't, and that I think is is reoccurring through how the work of the um, still life film is this impact that new technology is having on the way reality or the awareness of the world is being captured and represented. And now through new devices, um, the, the ability of the viewer to perceive the world is expanding and, and changing. So these films were shot with 
this this particular film of the pomegranate and Big Bang, the the film of the exploding flower. They were shot with digital cameras. It was important for me to shoot them in digital because I felt that they are the most distant that that can be from painting. If a painting this the painting got a surface that is so sensual and the act of making a painting is a is a is a physical act. Those digital um, films doesn't have any physical presence at all. There are data that is captured and then later being interpreted into what we used to look at as um, as photographs or films. And I was also interested to shoot on those cameras that on the one end can capture the image with extreme um, with 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 fantastic detail, and simultaneously uh, can capture a, a huge number of frames per second. So I was able to shoot at very high speed, and by doing this, once again stretching moments that usually will pass in an instant, and allow the viewer to meditate on them. And these moments were once again incomprehensible for painters like Cotan, who operated in the 17th century, but um, are part of the way we perceive reality now. Um, so They do have the so, lushness of painting. <laughs> I, I think that it was very important to come back with the final image as close as possible to painting, to create the suspension of disbelief. So on one level... The image is presented is as close as it could be to a painting, but the process of conceiving the image is as removed as possible from the process of making a painting. Well, they have that timeless or of the Cotan and of the painting of that era when they are in the still frame and then when they are pierced or they explode and then in slow motion go into a stupendous uh, a, a disarray and chaos. It goes from being sort of timeless to being to having a timeliness because it feels like uh, a, a, an actual and yet at the same time metaphorical experience for the way we live today, being aware of what's around us and also trying to transcend our fear of what's around us. Can you address some of the suggestions that these works make about the nature of today? Um. Yes, I, I think it's it's a little bit difficult because um, if I start to talk about some of the um, metaphorical interpretations of these works, then I'm in a danger of overstating um, what is inferred in the work. Um, obviously, in all those pieces, there is the act of violence that are that is intervening and disrupting the, the stillness, the static moment. And um, this act of violence is um, what, what I hope to do with it is to use it as an intervention that is very quickly being forgotten or left behind. So once again, I wanted to create something that is similar to what I hope to make in the forest, to all the tension point between remembering and forgetting, almost being immersed by beauty that is covering 
and overtaking um, an horrific moment. And by doing this to kind of uh, um, stretch, hopefully stretch the moral standing of the viewer and indulging in beauty and at the same time witnessing an horrific event. And this is something that um, I, I assume we experience almost on a daily basis just watching television. But I, it's, it's kind of a moral dilemma that I feel that it's uh, probably um, at the core of the work I'm hoping to make and of those particular pieces. So a pomegranate is loaded when a pomegranate is shot and start to bleed. Obviously, there are some kind of a, many, it open to many interpretations. And similarly, when um, a vase of flower explodes and, and shatters into little particles, the sound actually in the flower piece, um, uh, the Big Bang piece, was um, collected in Israel. And I went to sound library and picked up um, some samples from sirens that were recorded during wartime and some Memorial Day sirens. And almost uncunningly, I collected this sound and a week later the second uh, Lebanon war started mm. and those sounds were heard all over Israel and mm. on a daily basis. Well, the works extend the eloquence of the masterpiece painting, but they also literally shatter the masterwork that's the first still part. And I wonder also if it has any resonance with the idea that every artist's secret ambition is to embrace but also somehow demolish the precedence in order to create a fresh vision? Or do you more say it's in homage to what went before but with a, an update? I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a mixture of, of the two. And um, there is... You know, I, I experienced actually uh, working with the medium of photography and traditional photography. I feel now that as new technology emerging, however, how the, the, the floor under my feet is, is rattled. And um, for example, I worked with various printers and in the last few years, three of them uh, closed the businesses down because new technology emerged. And I think that the, the work to an extent is um, exploring such possibilities. I kind of feel that we are in the middle of a major revolution. I see kind of those um, wave patterns of ev revolution and evolution. And most of the time we go through evolutionary period and on occasion there are these moments of eruption where revolution is okay. And, I, and at the moment I feel that everything is unstable. I know we can look at it economically and politically, but I also, I feel it more from a kind of a, the, the impact that technological changes are having on, on not just on the, not the means of production, but the, the, the essence of what work of art is or how they're made. And so I kind of, so I, I think that this sort of relationship between a, a, an attempt to hold on to the past, simultaneously this fear of losing it, I mean, it's very important also uh, to kind of talk about this work in, in the context of what they are and their film work, so there is a loop, so the work is recreating itself at the end, so there is a moment of, um, 
of disruption and destruction, but at the end we come back to the initial moment of the still life. So there is this continuous cycle where those still life reclaiming the, themselves and, and their space. Well, you've used these beautiful frames that frame the hardware of the screen, but I also felt in looking at these, it made me feel that the hardware of the screen has in some ways become a mirror for us. Um, yes, I, you know, it was uh, the way I thought about this screen is um, I was working on pieces that were, that there's no tangible presence at all. There were, like I mentioned before, there was not even a film, there was only this data that were captured on hard drive. And very much a thinking about Walter Benjamin and his writing. I mean, when I talked about the, early on, we talked about the speed of the intervention. I was thinking about his um, thought about optical unconsciousness and how through new technologies um, we are able to experience reality in such ways that it's almost optically images that were too fast for us to process are coming to the forefront and becoming part of our conscious understanding of the world. Simultaneously, I was talking, when I talk about Benjamin, this whole idea of the, um, when he talks about uh, the, uh, uh, the age of me mechanical reproduction, think about those, um, those images that lost their aura, that, are, the, the, that there is no, no more original. And I kind of felt that in this kind of work that is related to painting, it was important to reclaim this ground. So I wanted to almost to fetishize the final work, to bring it into an object, an object that is unique. So when the viewer is standing in front of it, although it has no original, it will somehow wanted to, to reclaim this space. So this was a, this was my motivation to um, to make these friends. And I, I feel that they it's um, that this relationship that the viewer had with work of art is um, with with this with this fetishistic quality of a work of art is crucial to the way it is experienced and absorbed. So. I don't know if this answers your question. But yes, uh, actually. <laughs> what are you working on now that does and does not relate to the works in this show? Um, I'm preparing at the moment for a new film that is actually related to Walter Benjamin, and it's shot will be shot in the Pyrenees. Um, and it's um, tracing the route that uh, Walter Benjamin took on his attempt to escape from France to Spain, where he committed suicide. And But the film is much more for, um, re I think in visual terms, referencing the, the image of the angel of history that uh, Benjamin uh, wrote about in his last ever published essay. Um, this image of an angel that is turning into the past and horrified by all the wreckage 
and all he wants is to go back and fix this wreckage. But there is this violent wind that keeps pushing through his wings and doesn't allow him just pushing him forward or backward into the future. And the name of this wind is progress. And I kind of w work with, with this image in relation to the actual journey taken by Benjamin. Ah, will it be more a uh, film in an auditorium sense, or will it be more a uh, video installation, or how do you envision the final form of it? It's probably closer to the forest in its... It's, it's a very... The whole process of making this film is very, very physical, and will be shot in extreme condition in the middle of the winter, and there will be a lot of... Um, aspect of or Alex of related to duration and physical endurance and it will be I hope very cinematic in its um, um, yeah it will show it will be shot in a very cinematic manner so hopefully a large projection will work best for it are you shooting this winter yes I just I just came back from Iraqi last week and um yes and uh, when is the projected date working on application <laughs> grants and um, putting it all in place for the January February this winter and when is the projected date for completion um, hopefully April May I hope <laughs> Thank you so much. This has really helped me and I'm sure our listeners when they approach these works. And I look forward to your being here with them to tell us more. Thank you.